0: The Saturday Retreat, Moms with Young Children, is given by Father Ben Holdren and Marilyn Klein at our Lady of Good Counsel Retreat House, July 11, 2020. Recordings of our past retreats and scheduled upcoming retreats can be found at our website, goodcounselretreat.com.
1: We're going to go ahead and get started with the retreat. Holdren and I are both really excited that you all are here today. Um really glad that we're able to do this retreat and hopefully it's a time of rest and camaraderie and friendship and just rejuvenation um my oh yeah my name is marilyn klein Um, i have four kids my oldest is almost seven which is kind of insane to think about and my youngest is 17 months so i am also a mom of young people as we say not necessarily a young mom but a mom of young people And so I was thinking about like, oh, what would I like? I would like a retreat that I didn't have to be gone for a whole weekend, and I would like a retreat that I would be able to take a baby with me if I had one. So we kind of put this together with that in mind. Um, The talks will be shorter because I don't know about you all, but my brain power has significantly decreased since becoming a mom, and I can't really listen to theological treaties for like six hours anymore. Actually, I never could do that, but um, now especially I can't, so. and we'll have time for prayer after each of the talks so about a half an hour for prayer and then about a half an hour for discussion your name tags are colored according to the group that you will be in Um, so we tried to group people by parish north american martyrs represented well so you're in two different groups so congratulations you win Um, but everybody else should be able to be grouped kind of by your parish and location Um, lunch is going to be split shifted as you can see on your schedule, um, to try to kind of help with social distancing. Um, So we'll have one group have lunch, and the other group will have holy hour, and then they'll just swap for the schedule. We're running about 15 minutes behind, so we'll just kind of shift everything and see what happens. We're flexible people, right? Good. Okay. Um, any other logistics, Father Holdren, that you can think of before we get started? No? He's like, no, you did the logistics. You think about them. Okay, um, let's go ahead and start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and for this opportunity to be together. Uh, We thank you for the gift of marriage, the gift of family life, the gift of children. Um, We thank you for The many blessings that you have given each of us and uh, we pray that you would just be with us in this day and really um, bless this time that we have together as moms Uh, we thank you for all of our experiences and all of our situations that have brought us to this point we ask that you would show us your healing hand in all of these experiences and that you would show us uh, your call as we move forward in our lives we offer this day up through the sacred heart of Jesus and through the intercessions of Saint Zelie Martin, Saint Scholastica, thanks for the nice weather, and uh, Saint Veronica. And um, we just pray together, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Um, so Father Holdren is going to be doing the rest of the talks today, but you got me for the first one. Um, I obviously wanted to go first because I didn't want to talk after him, and um, I think that's going to work out pretty well for me. I also have the dubious honor of having something that he doesn't have, which is a functioning uterus. So I'm able to speak as a mom of young children in a way that he obviously cannot because he is not a mom and has no young children um, just not even a thing. Um, So I'm gonna just talk a little bit this morning about kind of my experiences with motherhood and some of the reflections that I've um, come through in the last several years. Um, I wanted to start by um, just kind of explaining my inerrant credibility and how professionally equipped I am to talk about this. Um, This last week, I was talking with my daughter who is six and a half, she'll be seven in October, and um, She was freaking out about something, and I was being very patient and very calm and very thoughtful in my discipline. And um, she said to me, mom, I hate your body, you smell like rotting cucumbers. And so I just really took that as a confirmation that um, I'm a professional parent and that I'm really equipped to talk to other parents. I felt so equipped, in fact, that I asked my four-and-a-half-year-old what I should talk about, because who else could you ask for advice except your four-and-a-half-year-old boy? He suggested that my topic should be, and I quote, stuff. So um, it's probably going to be a really good retreat because we've got those kind of situations going on at my house. And um, then he said, which I thought was probably better advice, he said, you should just tell them that Jesus loves them. And I was like, no, you're not wrong there. That's actually a better idea than stuff, so... (laughs) There you have it. That's my time. No, I'm just kidding. You got me for a half an hour. (laughs) Sorry. Um, So I have been reflecting on this talk for a couple of weeks now. Um, And I thought I would just kind of start by sharing a few of the things that I feel like I've learned since becoming a mom um, seven years ago and just kind of invite you to also kind of reflect on these things together um, along with me. So as I was thinking about what I've learned in motherhood, what I've been taught in motherhood, um, I, I realized, like, yes, I've learned selflessness. I've learned humility. Having kids is, like, probably the most humbling experience I've ever had. Anyone who's, like, walked, a carrying, walked your toddler out of mass while they're, like, kicking pews and stuff like that has been like, yes, this is humbling. My child just kicked a dinosaur boot at a random parishioner. That's never happened to me, you know, but other people that I've heard of. Um, I am reflecting on like the gratitude. I've I've experienced so much gratitude in my experience of motherhood. Um, But I think the thing that I've like really mostly come to in becoming a mom is um, an experience of like actual lived virtue and honesty with myself. I think for me, when I was like really coming into my conversion, I was like sitting in a pew, like praying for the virtues of patience and selflessness and kindness. And I was like, yeah, I'm pretty good at those things, like, of course I am. Because nobody tested them, right? I didn't have to be patient because I was dealing with rational adults for like 99.8% of my day. And then I became a mom and I was like, I'm not a patient person. I'm actually really not very selfless. And I've realized over and over and over again that, like, yes, I am growing in those virtues. Like, whether I want to or not, I'm growing in those virtues because they're necessary for my life. Um, but I feel like becoming a mom has just, like, really opened up my eyes to the reality of who I am. And that's been a really beautiful and healing and freeing experience for me sometimes. And sometimes it's been a really painful and, like, embarrassing and ugly part. But I know that, like, as I've come into this, like, I know that Jesus wants to meet me in both of those places. So I feel like being a mom has really, in a lot of ways, taught me how to live in the reality of my life, um, because you don't really get to fake things when you're a mom. I mean, you can sometimes, but, like, a lot of times you're just like, no, I am, like, super angry with you. It's three o'clock in the morning, and I don't want to be here. And, like, figuring out how to turn that into a prayer and how to turn that into a an honest life—it has been really powerful. Um, I also was reflecting on the idea of sacrifice. Uh, I realized, like, as I was kind of praying through this, like, yeah, I have actually sacrificed a lot of things. Like, um, I was having lunch with a friend a couple weeks ago who is seven months pregnant, and the waiter asked me when I was having a baby, and I'm not currently pregnant, and I was like, "Oh, ouch! That's." It's just the curry actually and the fact that i've had four children so that's what we got going on here um so the beach bod is in the past for me and um that's all right you know um i've sacrificed a lot of hours of sleep i don't know if anybody else has had that experience but sometimes i look back at my college years and regret watching the office until three o'clock in the morning like, what was i doing i could have been sleeping all those hours um I've sacrificed a lot of my desires and impulses and the things that I used to like think were really important. Um, And I think that, like, I don't say that in a way of like, oh, I regret having kids, right? Because, like, obviously I don't. But, like, I do think that it's important for us to acknowledge the reality. And the reality is when you have children, you do sacrifice things. Like, you sacrifice the opportunity. Like, my sister in law just went to France for a week and a half, and we're like, can't do that like not without some extensive planning right like we got a lot of logistics to figure out before we're jetting off to france for a week and a half um and so just maybe kind of thinking about those things in your own life too and i think one of the weirdest things about motherhood is um sort of the juxtaposition between suffering and joy right so earlier this week um i was like thinking to myself i was like you know, maybe it, maybe it's time for us to have another baby. Like maybe we should start trying to be like trying to achieve pregnancy again. And then like literally probably 20 minutes after that, I was, I, this prayer came out of my mouth. Jesus, please do not let me become an alcoholic. And I, because I was just like, these people are nuts. Like they are crazy. And like, I was like, wow, that was a really quick turnaround. Right. But like, that's like how it is we hold these things in such tension as moms we have like these beautiful joyful like my four and a half year old loves my one and a half year old he goes into her crib every morning they jump together he thinks she's awesome and then like 15 minutes after that he's like punching someone else in the face and I'm like who are you and why do you have free will because you do not use it well you do not use it well and there's a reason that four and a half year olds cannot drive cars because that is a terrible terrible experience and so i think like as moms like we experience these things in tension all the time we experience these great joys these beautiful things these moments of overwhelming gratitude and we experience like these times when we're like what did I do like why did I sign up for this or this isn't what I thought I was signing up for I thought I was signing up to like read silently with my children and what I do the majority of my day is wipe butts and keep people from killing each other like this isn't what I was envisioning when I envisioned family life and and we hold these things in tension because that's the reality of our lives is that we do have both of those things we have these great joys and these great, beautiful things. And we have these things where we're like, I messed up everybody's life today. My kids are gonna end up in jail and it's gonna be because of me and my parenting. Like, and, and those are like, I think like probably three to 700 times a day, I think to myself, I am not qualified for this. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know why I'm doing it. Like, what is happening to my life? And I think like, We all kind of come to these experiences. We have these ebbs and flows right, where things are going well, and then maybe they're not going so well. We have um, like times when everything's kind of clicking and times when everything isn't clicking. We have three-year-olds and we have not three-year-olds, and those are very different things. (laughs) If you've had a three-year-old, you understand that those are very different things. Three-year-olds are crazy. Um, Yeah, and so um, I was talking with a friend about this talk, and she was like, I was talking about this idea of like death by paper cut right so like my younger brother suffers from depression and his depression is pretty intense and he went through like a very severe depressive episode a couple years ago and I was talking with him about it and I was like I just like feel really bad for you because you have this like intense suffering in your life he was like well you have suffering too and I was like yeah but it's like wussy suffering like oh my kids aren't sleeping boo-hoo I'm not like dying you know And he was like, yeah, but like, it's like a death by paper cut. And I was like, man, I like that analogy, right? Because it's not these big, huge amputations. And maybe you have those in your life too. And those are obviously real sufferings. But a lot of times it's like this, like just the little slices, right? The little slices, the little cross of splinters that we're called to carry in our day-to-day life. And it's nothing glamorous and it's nothing exciting, but it is like real suffering. And it's important to acknowledge that too. I tried to think of an analogy of, like, the positive side of that, like, death by paper cut and then, like, resurrection by, I was like, hours of sleep, I don't know, maybe I haven't slept, whatever. So as I've kind of, like, reflected on these um, ideas of motherhood and my experience of motherhood, which I think is a pretty common experience, right, I think that all of these things that I've talked about, people aren't like, oh, I've never heard of that before, my experience is, like, totally positive, whatever. I don't believe you if you say that, so that's fine. Um, What I have really like reflected a lot on is just the idea of like, is Jesus here in this life? And as I've been um, kind of thinking about that over the last few years, there's been some scripture passages that have been really um, thought-provoking and prayerful for me in in that experience. And so I'd like to share one of those with you today Um, and maybe another one, we'll see at least one. Um, So this is from Mark's gospel. It's Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 40 something here, 41. And this is the story of Jesus calming the storm at sea. So um, I'm going to just read it through and then kind of uh, extrapolate on it. I don't know if that was the correct use of that word, whatever. Um, So on that day, as evening drew on, he said to them, let us cross to the other side, leaving the crowd they took with him took him with them in the boat just as he was, and the other boats were with him. A violent squall came up, and waves were breaking over the boat so that it was already filling up. Jesus was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. They woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Quiet, be still. The wind ceased, and there was great calm. Then he asked them, Why are you terrified? Do you not yet have faith? They were filled with great awe and said to one another, "Who then is this who move in the wind and sea obey?" Um, so the part of this that stood out to me is this idea in the middle um, in the the line that the disciples say when they say, "Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing and this this verse, this part of this verse has become really a powerful moment of reflection for me over the last few years like both with parenting and with stuff that's been going on with my nuclear family because like I think that we don't necessarily want Jesus to fix the things in our life we don't necessarily like want him to make everything better but what we do want to know is that Jesus is with us and that he cares about the suffering in our life. Because if he's just out there and he doesn't care about what's happening in our lives, like, that's not a personal God and that's not a God that we can have a relationship with. But if he sees our suffering and he is with us in our suffering, even if he doesn't fix the suffering, that provides a space for us to be in relationship with him. And that has become just such a powerful witness to me of like how I view the Lord and how I desire to be in relationship with him. Not that he would fix everything that's happening because it's not possible necessarily. Like a lot of these things, right? You you can't just like miraculously have a child that never cuts teeth and always sleeps through the night. Maybe you do. Good for you. But, like, for most of us, these things are, like, sort of intrinsic to parenthood, and they're not malicious things, and they're not bad things. They're those, those suffering by paper cut, the death by paper cut things. And, like, what I want to know is that Jesus cares about that suffering, and that he's with me in that suffering, not that he would necessarily make all of my child's teeth, like, just be teethed, right? Um, that would be kind of creepy also. <laughs> you just, like, wake up one morning, and your kid's like, Side note, my two-and-a-half-year-old just learned how to wink, and it is the cutest thing ever, so. Um, So, yeah, so I've just been, like, sort of reflecting on this, right? So, like, is Jesus actually present in the everyday, ordinary, messy things in my life as a mom? And the reason that I um, offered the book that I did for this retreat is because that is the question that that author, Laura Finucci, Posits, And she talks about these experiences of motherhood under the idea of sacraments. That's why it's called Everyday Sacrament. And I love this book because I think it really, well, it makes me cry every time I read it. And I've read it probably six times. And I've probably given away like seven copies of the book, so I really like it. So I'm really excited that y'all got it. Um, but she kind of talks about this finding God in the ordinary, which I think is like a really critically important thing to do because I think sometimes we can also have this temptation at least I do where I'm like oh like maybe I should have been in religious life like then I would be really holy instead of like wiping butts all the time and like listening to people fight about like what color is better like no that's not even a thing people that's not objective reality that's a subjective opinion shockingly my kids don't care but they should because I'm right and um so like yeah finding this in the ordinary so sometimes I'm like tempted to be like oh like if I was in religious life like maybe if I was like a missionary of charity right then I would be able to like go help people and I would be doing all these awesome things and then I was like thinking like yeah I would be doing awesome things like taking care of kids in an orphanage and helping people and giving people baths and washing dishes and those are all the things that I already do in my life so, like, it's not a question of, like, where we are in our vocation. It's, like, is Jesus present with us in our vocation? Because he called us to this life, and he wants us here. Um, so, I think that that idea of, like, finding Jesus in the ordinary is so critically important to motherhood, and to having a fulfilling experience of motherhood, where you're not just, like, Slogging through day after day, and yes, there's times of slogging through, and that 's just how it is, but like to really have like a truly fulfilling experience of motherhood, I think requires vulnerability in our relationship with the Lord, acknowledging the sufferings that he 's put in our life and finding the ways that He is present with us in those sufferings and Another critically important thing that I think um, is super necessary for moms, especially moms that are in the stage of life that we are in is friendship and vulnerability with other moms. And so, this has been one of the most beautiful experiences that I've had within motherhood is just this moment of like sharing a vulnerable experience and like having the other person be like, "Yeah, I get that. Like I I'm with you in that." And I think sometimes we like especially sometimes I think as Catholic moms like we feel this pressure because, like, right, I have four kids. So when I go to Menards, people ask me about my family planning all the time. It's always Menards, which is weird. <laughs> I don't really know if that's like a company policy there or something, but like, literally, Target, nobody asks me. Fresh time, people are actually helpful. Menards, so wow, four kids. I'm like, yes, we were here last week. Just give me my paint and let me be on my way. But sometimes I think we have this like um thing where we like need to present ourselves in a certain way. And that's great, but it also doesn't allow for vulnerability in relationships. I don't know if you all have experienced this, but I have where I am like trying to be friends with somebody, but they like never admit that anything is ever wrong in their life. And those friendships last for like maybe 15 seconds for me, because I'm like You know, if nothing ever goes wrong in your life, we just like can't hang out because I can't talk to somebody who is like always perfect. Um, And so my husband and I lived in Kansas City for about five years. Um, We moved here about two and a half years ago. But the first five years of my motherhood experience were in Kansas City. We also moved there when I was 37 weeks pregnant with my first baby, which was a terrible idea. Um so I gave birth a week and a half after we moved to a new town where we knew like four people and it was just a disaster train. So my experience into motherhood was a, a solid crash and burn experience. And um it's gotten better since then, so that's good. But um <clears throat> along with that, I really had a lot of really beautiful experiences of getting to know other moms. Um when we first moved there, um right so I gave birth to our first child like a week and a half after we moved to this new town and um, birth was a thing I don't know you all have given birth probably and it's it's an experience I was not one of those people that doesn't know they're in labor and um, has a baby like an hour later I was one of those people that was like what the hell this is not what I thought this would be like Yeah, we can talk about that later. We don't need to scandalize Father Holdren with our birth stories here. (laughs) He's like, I don't care, I have nieces and nephews, that's fine. Um, But after I had my first daughter, um, I didn't really know what was normal, right? Because it's your first kid. And I just was like really suffering. She was a terrible nurser. She didn't sleep. We didn't know what we were doing, which is really unfortunate. She didn't know what she was doing because she was like three weeks old and um rookies all around and um so i finally got to the point where i was just like i'm not happy at all and like i was like maybe i just have never been happy and so i'm like sitting there and like looking at you know i'm like is this what postpartum depression feels like i don't know i've never had a baby before maybe i'm just tired so eventually we made up this reason to go see our doctor who is also our pediatrician i think we told her that we thought our daughter had an ingrown toenail and praise God she had an opening because I went in and, and Mitch came, my husband came with me and she was like, yeah, anything else? And I was like, um and he's like, talk to her. And I was like, <laughs> um well, I, I just didn't know like if maybe I was having some postpartum depression symptoms and she was like asking me questions and I was like, yes, yes, yes kind yes okay yes and she was like ah yeah so it sounds like you are and i was like oh okay (laughs) and so um so she was she was an apodoctor so she recommended progesterone shots which were like immensely helpful for me with my postpartum depression and then my daughter started sleeping and things kind of like started going back towards the way of reality being functional again Um, but that experience of postpartum depression was like really formative for me because um, I also teach nFp, and so um and so, like a lot of times, right? I'm talking with moms who have just had their first baby and they're coming back into follow ups and it's kind of interesting because there's like two groups of new moms in my experience, which is not that extensive but maybe is a little bit extensive um there's, like, the new moms that are like, yeah, it's been hard, but it's been really good. Like, I just love watching him sleep, and, like, you know, breastfeeding's been going pretty well, and blah, 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 blah. And then there's the other moms that are just like, yeah, um, it's, been, it's been hard, and it's yeah, it, it's been good, though. It's been really good. And I'm like, nobody wants to be like, this sucks, right? Because you just had a baby and you love your baby, but like it does suck sometimes. Like, let's be straight up honest. And so, I think like when I start to talk with those women, and I'm like, man, like those first six weeks after my first baby were born, those were like the hardest weeks of my life. And they're like, oh, thank you. You know, that moment of vulnerability where they're like, somebody understands where I'm coming from and it's okay. I've had four children. You're never gonna be a first time mom again. Praise God right? <laughs> that first baby. Some people say zero to one is not the hardest. For us, zero to one was brutal. It has never been that hard again. And Mitch and I, every time we have another baby, we're like, at least we don't have to be first time parents again, right? But like that moment of like, you understand what I'm going through and it's okay. It's okay for me to not love every second of this. It's okay for me to love my baby with everything that I have in me, and that I would straight up kill a bear for this child, but also go the frick to sleep, dude. Like it's okay to have both of those feelings and that's like intrinsic to our experience of motherhood, right? That ferocious love, that love that literally would kill a wild animal for your baby and also that feeling of like, I'm going to the bathroom, leave me alone. I have left you for 13 seconds and you are punching each other and literally all I need to do is pee. Just give me five seconds. Like those feelings, right? And, and when we share those feelings and we talk with other moms and we're open and honest about it, it gives other people the space to share their hearts. And that's where authentic friendship and authentic relationship come with. And that is so important because nobody can do this by themselves. Like, your husband might be the coolest dude ever, and I'm sure he is, except for mine actually is, but yours are probably pretty great too. But, like, we need other women. We need other moms. We need other people to say, I get it. I've been there. I know how it is. And, you know, bonus points if you're like, you're going to get through this. We went through three also, and it was hellacious, and you will survive. But even if you haven't been through three and you're like, yeah, that does sound really hard. None of this like offer it up. I'm sure you're being sanctified. Well, of course, right? But like, let's be real in our relationships with each other. So one of, one of my favorite experiences of this was um, when I lived in Kansas City, there's this mom that I think is like the coolest mom ever. Her name is Sandy. And her and her husband are the godparents to my third child. And she's like one of the people that I, she's like a mom hero to me. She's just a really good mom. She's very intentional with her kids. She's very thoughtful with her discipline. She just like has her crap together. And so when I first got to know her, I was like, I don't know if we can be friends because you're really good at everything and I'm just how I am, right? And, but I thought she was super cool, so I just like kept creeping on her because I like wanted to be like her when I grew up. And so, um, so eventually we started becoming friends I'm sure that's a spoiler, since she's the godparent to my third child. Uh, but I didn't just creep on her for years. We did eventually become friends. And the moment that really solidified our friendship, that I was like, okay, we can be real friends now, was one day we, we took our kids to story time together. And we were at this, the library in the plaza, which is this big library. And both of us have our older two kids are each six months apart. So her older two kids are six months older than my older two kids. So it's, that's a bonus, too, because then you're like, tell me what's coming next. What should I be prepared for? And she's like, it's going to be terrible. No, I'm joking. Um, there's a turning point at some point, right? And so, um, so we're at the library, and like her oldest son just is like having kind of one of those meltdown sort of days, and I think he was like three and a half or four at that time, so we all know about three, and my feelings about three. It's the worst. Um, And so he was (laughs) So we're like done with story time and they like move From story time room into this craft room So we all go into this craft room And they're like doing the crafts and he's just like having one of those Days right and so she's like (laughs) <laughs> she's like crying and freaking out she's like you should just go like craft time was done I was like do you need help with anything like can I help you she's like you should just go and I'm like okay so we like go to go check out books in a different part of the library meanwhile I can hear Joe just getting louder and louder and louder he's like freaking out screaming throwing like kicking throwing tantrum flipping out and eventually so this goes on for a while we're like checking out books he's freaking out and um, eventually, like, I hear the sound of his crying move out of the library. You know, it's like a siren when you can hear it, like, turning a corner and going somewhere else, except it's the siren of disgruntled four-year-old. Might have been three. Anyway, um, and later she texts me, and she's like, well, I've never been escorted out of the library by the police before. And I was like sounds like you had an exciting morning she's like yeah she couldn't get joe to calm down right this is like pro mom she couldn't get joe to calm down so eventually she and we live in kansas city so there's police officers in the library that's just normal in our area of kansas city um and um, so eventually she, like, ended up asking this police officer to, like, I don't know if he carried her younger child out of the library for her while she carried her older child, but she was like, yeah, I had to ask the police officer to help me get my kids out of the library, and I was like, now we're friends. We can be <laughs> friends now. Because if you, who I think, seriously, is like, one of the best moms, best disciplinarians ever, have to have your child carried out of the library by a police officer, like, there's hope for the rest of us, right? And so, like, I just, like, think that these moments of vulnerability are, like, super important. Um, I'll share, like, one more story, too. So um, I was also involved with a book club when I was in Kansas City, and this book club was, like, the best thing for New Mom Maryland because I started going when... Yeah, you know. Um, I started going when Sophia was... Like three or four months old, just because I needed to be out of my house, and I like didn't know it was like a friend of a friend that started this book club, and so I started going, and I was like, I don't even care who these people are, I just like need to be out of my house with other people that are moms. Turns out they were all awesome. Um, it was great because I was like the liberal of the group. They were all like Latin mass homeschooling families and I was like the focus missionary crazy lady right and that was a new experience for me um and um but they were like awesome and all of them had more kids than me and they all were like pretty legit parents and so um just like listening to them share their stories of parenthood, like the good and beautiful things that happened, but also the things that were really hard and like a lot of them had really hard things happen while we were in the book club because I was in it until I moved, um, yeah, and just like people coming and and having different experiences and having sick kids, and one of the girls, her son, was diagnosed with diabetes during the course of the book club and um Just like sharing life together, and we talked about our books sometimes, which I never read, because I'm bad at reading things in a timely fashion. I did read Kristen Labyrinth's Daughter. Has anybody read Kristen Labyrinth's Daughter? That book is dumb. (laughs) Erland? Don't even get me started on Erland. If you haven't read that book, we'll talk about it later. Um, Anyway, that was like one of the only books I read in that book club. Erland, come on. We always joke about naming one of our kids Erland. Um, so, for those of you who haven't read it, Erland is an idiot, and that's basically all you need to know. Okay, so in this book club, other than reading Kristen Laverne's daughter, we talked a lot about our lives. And I remember, like, at one point, um, talking with one of my friends, Maddie, and she was sharing with me how when her, she had four, four or five sons at that point. think four sons and she was telling me how um, when they found out they were pregnant with their third son she was really upset because they were not hoping to get pregnant at that time and they were um, it was just like not a good time for their family and they were like kind of financially strapped and there was just like a lot of variables that made it not the best timing and I remember her telling me like yeah like when we found out we were pregnant with this baby like I cried and I remember at the time being like oh my gosh like That's kind of terrible. Like, I hope that I never cry when I find out that I'm pregnant. Um, But I was like, I didn't say that obviously because I'm not a jerk. But like, it was like this moment of vulnerability. And I was like, okay, like, you know, I hope that I don't ever experience that. So, fast forward to a year and a half, two and a half years ago, we found out we were expecting our fourth baby when our third baby was seven months old and it was not really what we were expecting and i did cry when i found out found out that i was pregnant with her and i remember thinking to myself i'm so glad that maddie told me that because like i knew that maddie was an awesome holy woman i knew that she loved her kids with the ferocity of a mom i knew that she would never ever trade that baby for anything and so i was like okay like." if she can do all these things and like have this experience of like being upset, it doesn't always have to be like this. Like I know that because of her vulnerability, I felt like, okay, these emotions that I'm experiencing, like I'm not, A, I'm not always gonna feel like this and B, like it's okay to feel like this. Like other good holy women that I look up to have also experienced this and it's okay. So I just want to encourage everybody on this retreat today, that wherever you find yourself in this experience of motherhood, if you're having like an awesome kick butt last couple months in quarantine and you're like on fire to homeschool in the fall and you're like crushing it, sweet, praise God for that. And, and literally praise God for that, that's awesome. And if you're here and you're like, I've been like slogging my butt through the last four months and like I need to get out of my house or I'm gonna kill someone, praise God for that too. Cause we've been there. And so I just would like to encourage you in this day to be vulnerable with the Lord and to be vulnerable with each other and to really take this time to sort of reflect on your experiences of motherhood and how Jesus is shaping you in those experiences and to bring those to to the Lord and to each other. Um, So kind of the format for this day leading into the next section, we'll have about a half an hour or so of quiet reflection time after each of the talks. If you didn't get the question sheets there on the front table thing so for the next half an hour or so you're welcome to go into your room and pray in your room if you would like you're welcome to stay in the chapel you're welcome to go for a walk but we'll have the next half an hour be just sort of some quiet reflection prayer time and then for a half an hour after that we're going to have discussion time as i mentioned before your name tags are colored with the group that you'll be in um so in in about a half an hour after that. If you're in the blue, green, or orange group, if you can meet in the cafeteria, so blue, green, and orange, you're going to be in the cafeteria. If you're in purple, red, or gray, you'll meet in the library, which is around the corner over there. And then just meet with your group. There should be about seven or eight people in each group and then um, you can kind of talk about what you reflected on talk about anything that came to mind that you'd like to share with each other obviously you don't need to share anything if you don't want to um, but then we'll have about a half an hour for that and then we'll have mass after that um, it will probably be a little after 10 30. you're also welcome to go outside it, um, Yeah. So if if you feel more comfortable having a group discussion outside or your group wants to go outside, I've been praying to St. Scholastica for weeks for nice weather, and I think she showed up. So I'm real excited about that. Um, Yeah. So you're welcome to do whatever. I will use my powerful bell ringing skills to let you know when it's time to move into the discussion part. I won't ring it in the baby hallway, but I'll ring it out here. And um, yeah, let's go ahead and close with a prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day, for this opportunity to be together. We especially praise and thank you for all of the moms that we know that are true examples of motherhood that we look up to, that we have shared life with, Um, for our friends, and for those who are um, in the trenches along with us. We praise you for those women, and we thank you for our husbands and our children and our vocations, and we just ask that you would be with us on this day that would be a holy and beautiful experience for each of us. And we pray all of this in Jesus' most holy and most sacred name. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen.
2: As we hear the readings today, it really sets the tone uh, for us. Uh, We have um, the prophet Isaiah, and his mind and heart are lifted to God. And that's exactly what we've come here for. To ask the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts, to fill our minds, and to lift them up towards God. Um, it's the only thing that we have to worry about today. is just allowing the Holy Spirit to lift our minds and our hearts to encounter the love that God has for us. That's it. And your life is very, very different than mine is. Uh, One of the luxuries of the priesthood of celibacy is silence. (laughs) (laughs) And the thing that you never get, uh, silence. And so what a gift uh, just to have, you know, these, uh, these hours. And um, to really ask our Lord to pour uh, his love deep within our hearts. And maybe you have an experience like Isaiah. And as your mind and your heart are lifted, and you begin to encounter Jesus, maybe you have an experience like him. And he says woe is me, I am doomed. (laughs) Um, I wanted to talk about that a little bit uh, in in this homily and the experience that we have of self-condemnation. But if you notice, you know, here's the spoiler alert. Uh, Do you see how fast love and healing take place within Isaiah. The angel comes, sent by the Lord, a seraphim, holding an ember with tongs taken from the altar and just touches the mouth of Isaiah. See, now that this has touched your lips, your wickedness is removed, your sins purged. Holiness has very very little to do with us and our strength, very little. Holiness has everything to do with the deep love that God has for each one of us. It's nothing for God. Nothing for God to accomplish healing and love within us. And do you see the the confidence that this gives Isaiah? I heard the, the voice of the Lord saying, Whom should I send? And he says, after that happens, right? He goes from woe is me to you, send me. That's the Holy Spirit. That's what we pray for, for a real receiving of the Holy Spirit. And that happens especially in the Eucharist. And you don't have to wonder, okay, if I pray hard enough, is it going to happen? If I work hard enough, is it going to happen? It is going to happen in the Eucharist. Um, so let me, um, talk through some things, um, that have been really helpful for me. And, uh, I hope helpful for you as well. As I was meditating on these talks, the scripture verse that really came forward was Jesus saying, come to me, all you who labor and are burdened, come to me. He says, I give praise to you, Father, because you've revealed this to the childlike. Not somebody who has it all figured out, right? Not the wise and the learned, but it's the childlike. You have revealed this to the ones who know they don't have everything figured out. Come to me. All you who labor and are burdened and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm meek and humble of heart and you will find rest for yourselves so I wanted to have this homily just be on the first part come to me Uh, the second talk will be take my yoke upon you and the third talk will be learned from me, for I am meek and humble of heart. So, come to me, all you who labor and are burdened, right? <laughs> You're in the right place. Um, what causes labor? What causes burdens? Within every human heart, there are these deep desires that we have. And we have a desire for perfect love. So to be perfect love for others as a mom, to be loved perfectly by kids and spouse. And when we look at that desire, it's a desire for perfect. Um, I talked to some moms uh, a while back, and I said, what are the desires of your heart? And they said, well... I really desire to be present with my family. And there's a perfect desire. I want to be perfectly present. I have a desire to want to suffer. And I want to do that perfectly. I have a desire just to live with simplicity. Perfectly. I have a desire to never get angry and to never yell (laughs) perfect i have a desire to raise kids with their eyes that are on heaven i have a desire to let go of control so my kids can be independent i have a desire to keep peace by surrender i have a desire for my kids to place their trust in me and do you notice those desires We desire those things perfectly. And I found it very enlightening when I heard this. If we have, you know, kind of a trajectory towards heaven of those perfect desires. And then we look at where we actually are. The difference between those two is called suffering. The difference between our desires for perfect and our very normal weaknesses and limitations and sinfulness, the gap between those two is suffering. Come to me, all you who labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest. Do you remember St. Peter and he was on the boat and he was rocked by the storms? Right? We can say he was laboring and he was burdened under all of those storms. And Jesus came walking to him on the water. And Peter's heart was filled with this very interesting desire. Do you remember what it was? Lord, if it's you, call me to walk to you on the water. Good luck with that, Peter. It's not only a perfect desire but it's a supernatural desire. The desire that filled his heart is more than humanly possible. The desire to always be present is more than a human desire. It is not humanly possible. A desire to live without simplicity, a desire to never get angry, to never yell, all the rest, these desires are more than human. But yet, those desires are in our hearts. You know, we can say, Peter, there's no way you're going to achieve those, that desire that's in your heart. And we can say the same thing, you know, to each one of us there is no way. There's no way these desires are going to be fulfilled perfectly. And Jesus says, Come to me. Shift your focus. Come to me. And so Peter, with this gaze on Jesus' face, he says, Jesus, if it's you, call me to walk to you on the water. And Jesus says, come. And Peter steps out of the boat, and he begins to walk on the water, doing what is not humanly possible. Jesus is the one who placed that desire in his heart. Jesus is the one who's placed your your deepest desires in your heart. But the mystery of the spiritual life is that those desires are not able to be fulfilled on our own strength. Peter can't walk on the water by himself You can't fulfill those desires that you have in your heart on your own. And uh, we have that suffering graph. Um, We can fall into self-condemnation when we fall short of those desires. And self-condemnation may sound a little bit like this. It should be better than this. God I disappointed you again. I failed. Jesus, for the thousandth time today, I failed. I'm not responding well. I'm not teaching. I'm yelling. I can't do this all the time. I've gotten 10 snacks and wiped you three times in the last 30 minutes. The kids are manipulating me again. I should not like nap time so much. (laughs) Maybe I should not have stayed at home with the kids because I'm just screwing them up. Self-condemnation. Self-condemnation can be a huge, huge gift in the spiritual life to experience that suffering of falling short from our perfect desires. Now, it can crush us, right? How many times has self-condemnation crushed us? And we just carry around that burden and we're laboring. But self-condemnation can be a huge gift in the spiritual life if we remember Jesus' words, come to me. All you who labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest. Uh, there's a, uh, an awesome priest who told me one time, self-condemnation has a twin, it's self-reliance. Self-condemnation has a twin, it's self-reliance. Do you remember St. Peter walking on the water and the storms were all around him? And he was laboring and burdened in the storms, right? And he's losing his nerve. And, oh, my gosh, I had this desire, but there's no way I can do it. And he's focused on all of the, you know, and what happens? He starts to drown. Immediately he starts to drown. Self-condemnation has a twin. It's self-reliance. And he's calling out, Lord, save me. And that can be a really painful place to be in the spiritual life. If we're allowing the enemy to convince us that we're a failure, we're not good enough, there's something wrong with us, uh, we have it wrong again, that can be a really painful place. To cry out, Lord, save me. And the enemy can move into that place and say, you are not worthy. You're not worthy of Jesus' love for you. You're not worthy to be close to him. You've failed too much. You are rejected. Uh, That rejection is what we call shame, and it's the original attack that the devil had uh, to Eve in the garden. And it's a lie. As soon as Peter cried out, Lord, save me, immediately Jesus took him by the hand. How can we cry out, Lord, save me, in those times of self-condemnation? If we realize self-condemnation always has a twin at self-reliance, and we can learn to surrender. In peace. Jesus, I surrender myself to you. Take care of everything. Um, There's a novena that really nails this. It's called the Surrender Novena. If you haven't seen it, this can be such a huge, huge help in that place of self-condemnation and self-reliance. It's a, a, a mom's novena. It's like every day is a paragraph long, right, with your crazy schedules. Jesus, I'm failing. Jesus, I'm ashamed. But Jesus, I surrender everything to you. I surrender myself to you, take care of everything. And Jesus immediately, grabbing Peter by the hand, takes him to himself. Um, There is something that we all have called mind blindness. And um, in little kids, um, you have experienced this, although maybe you didn't know what to uh, what to call it. Um, when you, your little kids are freaking out, because you should know exactly what they're thinking. Um, and you know why can't you figure this out? Uh, in the midst of my screams, you should know exactly what's going on in my mind. A little kid um, at a certain uh, psychological development doesn't understand the difference between his mind and his parents' mind. It's called mind blindness. They think their parents' thoughts are their thoughts, their mom's thoughts are their thoughts. And it's not until later they realize there's a difference It happens all the time to us in the spiritual life. We think God's thoughts are our thoughts. The way that God sees us is the way that we see ourselves. And we don't understand there's a difference. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. And God is unfazed by our weakness and our limitation and our sins. Unfaced. We need God to speak into our mind blindness and to help us remember that. Just like your little kids need you to be able to speak into their mind blindness, we need Jesus to speak truth into our minds in that place of self condemnation and self reliance. And this is why scripture is so important for moms. All of us, but for moms. Because in that place of self-condemnation, we need Jesus to break through our thoughts and to help us to know how he really sees us. And the biggest place where that mind blindness is shattered Is the cross. If we can remember this image, Jesus on the cross is saying to each of us, I'm willing to take all of your weakness. I'm willing to take all of your limitations. I'm willing to take all of your sins onto myself. Allowing my heart to be pierced out of love for you. Because my love for you is never going to fail, ever, even until death. Come to me, all you who labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest. Do you see how Scripture can break through? The lies that were told by the enemy, and we can really hear what Jesus thinks about us. We need that. We're not okay without that. We need His voice speaking into the lies. And so we ask as we're gathered here uh, with Jesus to receive this beautiful sacrament of the Eucharist that He would um, fill our hearts with the grace, a new awareness. When we start to slide into the self-condemnation, to realize I'm being self-reliant, and if I'm being self-reliant, Jesus, I surrender myself to you, and having the grace just to get a favorite scripture verse, or um, to, to, you know, just go through the gospel of the day or that grace to pick up the word of God and to allow Jesus to speak truth into our hearts. Uh, and we ask Jesus to continue doing that uh, in the beauty of this mass. Good afternoon. How are (laughs) you? Good to see you. So, uh, we will um, get into this next talk. Um, And the next talk is Jesus saying to each of us, Come to me, all you who labor and are burdened, and take my yoke upon you. For my yoke is easy and my yoke is light. So, I wanted to talk through a little bit. what Jesus's yoke might be, especially as it concerns moms and especially as it concerns the sacrament of marriage. And so before um, uh, we do, why don't we start with a prayer? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Jesus, we remember you. And always present with us from the moment of our baptism, our hearts have been united to yours. We're already there in union with you, present in a special way in the sacrament of your Eucharist, your risen body, blood, soul, and divinity here with us. Jesus, we remember the wounds that you still bear in your hands in your feet and your side your heart pierced out of love for each of us. Please, Jesus, continue to send the fire of your Holy Spirit deep within the hearts of these moms. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill them with the graces that you most desire for them. Come Holy Spirit, fill them with the graces that Jesus has won for them from his cross. Come Holy Spirit, fill them with a deep sense of the love in which you look at them and a deep sense of the dignity that they have as wives and mothers. And we entrust this time to you, Blessed Mother, we ask that you would take us in your arms uh, to drive out all uh, lies and all attacks of the evil one, that you would crush um, his head with your heel. And please be our constant guide and our protection. Draw us deep into the heart of your Son as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, the question I wanted to have us reflect on is uh, who is it that we're yoking ourselves to? Who or what are we yoking ourselves to? Um, it's very, very easy in our culture to get yoked to uh, things that are separate from Jesus. Uh, very easy to yoke ourselves to worldly things. It's very easy to yoke ourselves to what other people think of us. Um, what what does the culture tell us that, uh, um, um, that that moms should be? And you ladies could speak into this, you know, a, a lot better than I can. Um, but what does it look like to be a perfect wife and mom in our culture? Um, It's easy to become yoked to an excessive materialism. So I have a friend who's a mom in a small town, and she says in her area, the big thing is that all uh, um, parents, you know, successful families drive around in new Chevy Suburbans. Like that's the big thing. And you know, you're either kind of in that in group or you're out of that group right, an excessive materialism, or um, to be yoked to, I need a a, a great house in the greatest neighborhood, and I'm just not a good mom if I don't have that. Uh, Sometimes in our culture, it's very easy to be yoked to an excessive activism, um I mean there are uh, all over Facebook these moms who are using amazing gifts and talents they have you know to um uh um uh post these new kitchens that they've just designed and they have just rocked that kitchen or um they've just gotten new bees and over quarantine, they've become uh, uh, honeymakers. And it's something all of their kids are doing together, and their kids are so happy in those pictures. And everything is work- working perfectly. Um, or, you know, maybe it's um, uh, the most intelligent and the most competent. Or maybe it's an activism as... Uh, um, you know, concerns a a job or maybe it's the kids' activities. And if a a mom isn't living up to these expectations of the culture and how other people are looking, there can be a sense that I am just not being a good mom right now. Um, You can speak into this a lot better than I can. You know the polls that are there. Who is it that we're yoked to? Um, I can speak more deeply into the priesthood, right, my vocation. And um, it's very, very easy to get pulled in a hundred directions, I think, no matter what vocation you're in. And so uh, in my assignment, I have been assigned a couple small parishes in Bellwood. Maybe you've heard of it. (laughs) Maybe you haven't. I've been assigned to be a teacher at the high school, and those are the duties that have been given to me right, by, uh, by the bishop, and those are the things that I'm called to be obedient to. But also, I've gone through a spiritual direction program, and I love to sit down one-on-one with people. It's like one of the biggest joys of my life. I love sitting down one-on-one with people and just talking about the spiritual life. Um, And the bishop has asked, you know, Father, could you be, uh, if time allows, a spiritual direction to uh, the guys in the seminary and to religious and, you know, whoever else. Um, And yes, I would love to do that. And um, then there's different apostolates that I could become involved in and different uh, talks to give and, you know, So I remember trying to navigate all of this over this last year. And there was a time at Aquinas where we're going through a social justice class. And I love social justice. I love it. Um, Reaching out to people who are in need and, you know, kind of rallying these uh, high school seniors to reach out and take on a project. And so as I'm thinking about things, you know, what would be a great project? There's a friend of mine who's involved with uh, families who are over in the Holy Land um, and uh, in the Gaza Strip. And he says, you know, we could really use some help with the families there. And I think, oh, that, that's the perfect social justice project. These people who are really um, suffering all of this violence and, you know, we're going to reach out and we're going to do something great for them. And so we just launch into this. And I'm thinking, okay, what do you guys want to do? You know, aim aim as big as you can. And they wanted to create a documentary for the people in Gaza, and we can raise international awareness about this. You know, and I said that's an awesome idea. Let's go, right? And um, so we start researching how can we fund this documentary, and how can we do this and this and this. And we're off and running. And it, I mean, on paper, it looks like it's going to be a great success. And we have a film crew in the Gaza Strip, and they're filming these people and putting this together, right? And I start noticing in myself there is no energy. There's no energy. I'm trying to pull out... Uh, this energy to invest in this project. And here's a, a very, very wise psychologist told me one time, if it feels like you're reaching into yourself and you're pulling out the effort and there's not a sense of peacefulness there, it can be hard, right? We're called to the cross and it can be difficult, but it's different when it's guided by the Holy Spirit. We can move through something hard with a sense of peace or we can move through something hard and just completely no energy, no Holy Spirit. And so I begin to pray about this, and my prayer starts out, God, why don't you get behind this? Where, where are you? Um, we're doing something great here. It's about time you show up, right? And whenever a person gets into that position of telling God what he should or shouldn't do, something's off, right? You don't need me to tell you that. But sometimes we can be really blind to that. And I realize, you know, in talking to my spiritual director, something's off, something's not right. And so through that guidance, I start praying and I realize that I have taken on this project, and it's not those big things that the bishop has given to me in obedience. Two parishes and a school. That's my vocation as a pastor. That's my family. That's where I'm called to. And this is something separate that I've yoked myself to. And even though it was really good, It wasn't God's will for me at that time. And as I'm talking to the seniors, I realize that I've gone running with this thing. And they were about two miles back. Um, I was taking all of this onto my shoulders and the thing that I most wanted to really have an impact on their lives, it wasn't happening. There wasn't the Holy Spirit there. What was I yoked to? And as I think back, if I'm really honest with myself, it it was what other people were thinking of me. We had a great project that we did the year before, and the year before, it started to create a little bit of a buzz. We were in the Southern Nebraska Register. (laughs) And... I had started to notice other people noticing me. And here's something great, you know. I was yoked to what other people were thinking of Father Holdren. And I wasn't yoked to Jesus anymore. And there wasn't rest. And that was intentional on Jesus's part. Because I needed to come back to the place where he was calling me. As a spiritual father and my vocation as priest, I needed to come back to that place. Who are we yoked to? Um, we heard in the gospel today, Jesus saying, don't be afraid of the ones who have no power over your soul. Don't be afraid of them. Um, I think what Jesus is saying is that he wants each of us to turn back to him and to move through life with eternity in mind. Um, St. Augustine said there are two loves in every human heart. Um, There is uh, a struggle between these two loves. And the first is a love of myself as I push away God. And the second is a love of God as I push away myself. A struggle between these two loves. And one is a focus on this life and this world and the things that are going on in front of me. And the other is a focus on eternal life. Um, It's a focus on heaven. Um, I wanted to take just a a few minutes to look through the sacrament of marriage and what God has revealed about the main purpose of the sacrament of marriage. Uh, Just like I needed to take a close look at what God was calling me to, and that helped me to say uh, to know what to say yes to and know what to say no to. I think any light that shined on that, this primary sacrament that we've been given, um, it, it helps all of us to be able to do the same, to know what to say yes and no to. Um, I've been going through a document called Familiaris Consortio, And it's a special document that has written to shine light on the beauty of the sacrament of marriage. And um, it's written by St. John Paul II in a synod. And uh, this was uh, written based off of Vatican II, which is an ecumenical council. So here is the highest authority of the church shining light on the beauty of the sacrament of marriage. Um, there was one, uh, uh, one mom who said to me um, a while back, I just want people to see me as more than a wife and more than a mom. And it, I think there's a lot of truth in that statement. Right? Each of you have particular gifts and talents that you've been given and ways that our Lord wants you to use those to really bring goodness into the world. But there's also, um, I think, a lie that can start working into that. I want people to see me as more uh, than a wife and more than a mom. More than a wife and more than a mom? In the eyes of Jesus, a wife and a mom has so much dignity, so much beauty. Um, this is what I want to shine light on, is what the church uh, how God through the church speaks beauty into the sacrament of marriage. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's not to say that those activities are bad. That's not what I'm trying to say at all. It's just we want to be yoked to Jesus. So he helps us prioritize things. And yoked to him, then those great activities that, um, flow from our primary sacrament. Um, so, this is what Familiaris Consortio has to say. Marriage is special, and then it's a real symbol of Jesus' saving action on the cross. And it's a sacrament that's unique because there's two people who participate in it. The other sacraments, it's just one person. Marriage, it's two. A communion of two persons. And marriage is making present Jesus's incarnation and his covenant, Jesus's incarnation. When Jesus received his human body from our blessed mother, it was the eternal divinity of the second person of the Trinity, assuming a human body. It was a marriage of divinity and humanity. Just like a priest makes present Jesus and his sacrifice of the cross and the Eucharist when he raises it, he makes present Calvary. Your marriage makes present the incarnation of Jesus, a marriage between God and humanity. Um, It also makes present covenant covenant which is a family bond that wasn't there before and then it is think about what happened when you entered into the covenant of your marriage um, you and your spouse entering into that new family bond it's making present the family bond that jesus has formed with us Um, in marrying humanity and divinity in his person Jesus has also married um, us to himself each one of us Um, marriage makes present covenant Um, a married couple is called to live this very love of Jesus who has poured himself out from his cross Jesus on the cross is the entire plan of marriage revealed. And the first and fundamental covenant, the foundational covenant that the sacrament of marriage is focused on, the first task of the family is to develop an authentic community of persons. And the first communion is between husband and wife. Um, Just like within the priesthood, the main purpose of my vocation is to be a spiritual father to my parishioners, to be a spiritual father to the students at school. The primary meaning of your vocation is to give yourself completely and totally to your spouse. And if that relationship um, is not secure, it's very easy for us to get yoked to other things. If that relationship is not secure, we're not yoked to Jesus. We haven't taken Jesus' yoke onto ourselves, and it can be very, very easy to get distracted with all kinds of um, all, all kinds of um, uh, anxieties and fears, and you know things that we need to do and things we need to be. But here is the primary meaning of the sacrament of marriage. Um, This communion is characterized by unity and indissolubility. Uh, It cannot be dissolved. And so a question to reflect on, how is your relationship with your spouse right now? Uh, This communion is the foundation of the communion uh, that you have with your kids and your kids as brothers and sisters. Relatives, all of it is built on this. Um, And of course, there's no family that doesn't know selfishness, you know, and and doesn't know discord, and things are going to be rocky, and um, the spiritual life, it's going to be messy, and that's okay. Um, But inviting Jesus into that relationship with your spouse is being yoked to Him. Familiaris Consortio goes on to say, God has created man and woman in His own image and likeness, and their crown and perfection is a special sharing in God's love and His power as Creator and Father, and it's through the cooperation with Him in transmitting the gift of human life, an intimate communion of love and an intimate communion of life. Um, I was talking with a nurse who was telling me uh, about the beauty that she saw when she was uh, on a surgical team helping in um, uh, um, in the hospital. I don't know whether it was the NICU unit, but um, her surgery, the thing, the surgeries that she loved the most, was when she was uh, helping with C sections. And so she said, as um, the the cuts were made one at a time, and as as, um, the beauty of that child was made present, that last cut, she said, without fail, always a little hand would reach up and grab on. And she said, what really blew her mind is just the beauty that she saw, it was a new life within this life. Don't let anyone tell you that being a mom is not important. Please don't let anybody tell you that. Um, God has called you to be the ones who bring about life. And, you know, maybe there are some who struggle with infertility. God is still calling you to bring about life. Still calling you to bring about life. There's a, a different way. But it's not any less. It's just going to be different. And to really open up and ask Jesus to speak deeply into that place, there's a meaning. Um, That suffering um, is not caused by him, but he has allowed it because out of that suffering, his plans are to bring about something greater than could have been there without that and you're still called to be a mom, and you're still called to bring about life. Our culture does not understand the beauty of life because our culture doesn't understand eternity. Uh, St. Catherine of Siena has some incredibly beautiful words to share that God the Father spoke to her about the relationship that we will have with our loved ones in eternity when you enter into heaven the relationship that you have with your kids it's going to stay it will not diminish at all and actually it will increase you will for all eternity be the moms of your kids you will have a special relationship with them in heaven now this is just kind of a silly analogy, you know, but maybe something to, to help uh, begin to wrap our minds around. Um, there's a little uh, fifth grader who told me this one time in CCD when I was a seminarian. She says, picture a mountain and a bird flies to the mountain, sharpets its beak, and then it flies away. 50 years later, there's another bird that comes, sharpens its beak on the mountain and flies away. 50 years later, another bird comes, sharpens its beak on the mountain, flies. 50, I'm like, okay, I get it. And um, uh, she said, now, Father, when those birds have chiseled that mountain down to nothing but a pile of dust, that's not even one day in eternity. For real, though. That's not even one day in eternity. If we allow ourselves to be yoked to what other people think about us and what the culture thinks about us, in a culture that has separated in a large extent from God, we allow our heart to be focused just on this life. Jesus is calling us, be yoked to me. Be yoked to eternity. Be yoked to the purpose that you have as the ones who bring about life in the world, but also in eternity. I'm not here without a mom. None of us are here without a mom. Your kids are not here without you. And that is an eternal gift that you have given them. Please don't let anyone tell you that being mom is a second-rate vocation because it's the first, and it's beautiful. Familiaris Consortio says the fundamental task of the family is to serve life. And there's a lot of uh, lies about artificial contraception. There's a lot of lies about uh, practicing NFP that are out there. A lot of stress that's put on families in the culture. Um, I talked to my sister-in-law who's pregnant with eight. And she goes to the supermarket, right? Not Menards, but (laughs) I'm going to tell her to stay away from Menards. And she literally has people come up to her and saying, you know how that happens, right? And maybe you've had that experience. Um, our culture does not get it. But God gets it, and he gets your heart. Um, the family's primary task is that relationship of love and its openness to life. And, of course, there are serious reasons, you know, why a person would uh, not be open to life, a family not be open to life. And um, if you have not read it, read uh, *Humane Vitae. It's the church's document that speaks into this, and it's beautiful. Um, if you want... Uh, uh, um, You know, other young moms, great moms to talk through, Uh, Lauren Basinger uh, here in the blue, and Marilyn in the back, Um, they really have a beautiful grasp of the church's teaching in this area. It's not the church saying, you know, when you get married, one, two, three, go. Go, 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 go. Have as many kids as you can, right? St. Catherine of Siena was number 23. Go, you know, that is not what the church is saying. But the church is saying, Um, Here's the church's language. A a, a couple can move into a place of being arbiters of God's will when it comes to life in their marriage. And an arbiter is somebody who comes in and says, I am the ultimate meaning. I am the ultimate reason here. The church's language is that we want to become ministers. Ministers. That we want to become servants, to be yoked to Jesus in this way. Um, I don't think there's anybody in the human race who has been able to predict what's going to happen five minutes from now, right, in Lincoln, Nebraska. All of the things that are going to happen. Let alone next year, or let alone next century, or let alone eternity. We make horrible gods. And Jesus sees clearly the eternity that he desires for you. Jesus sees clearly the life that he wants your help to create, to live for all eternity. Jesus says, sees perfectly well beyond five minutes from now, and there's a real place of trust that someone in the sacrament of marriage moves into you, saying, Jesus, I will be yoked to your plan for me and my spouse, and for me and and the life that you desire to create through us. It's a real place of trust. And in that place, being yoked to Jesus, is an immense amount of joy and peace that only being yoked to our Lord can bring. If we're allowing ourselves to be yoked to the culture and what other people think, we're being yoked to fickleness, people's opinions, they're always going to change, just like ours do. Maybe would be the hero one minute, you'd be the zero the next minute, very, very fickle. Um, being yoked to Jesus is building our house on rock and not shifting sand in the, in the storms. Um, Familiar's Consortio says when a couple respects the inseparable connection between the unitive and procreative meanings of sexuality, they act as ministers of God's plan. They benefit from their sexuality by remaining a total gift of self. And just wanted to mention one uh, other point on Familiaris Consortio. It's not just physical life that the sacrament of marriage enters into, but it's also a teaching of supernatural life. Married couples are also called to hand on the moral, spiritual, and supernatural life to their children. Since parents have conferred life on their children, they have a a most solemn obligation to educate their offspring. Parents must be acknowledged as the first and foremost educators of their children, and their role as educators is so decisive that scarcely anything else can compensate for it because of the unique relationship you have with your kids. Your kids learn differently from you by the graces of the sacrament. Um, And I think that our culture, again, it doesn't give us much help in what this is meant to look like. We can be pulled into um, all of these different activities that our culture says it's important, you know, for parents uh, to do. But we can miss spending that time really educating our kids in the faith. Um, Jesus says, what good is it if we gain the whole world, but we lose our souls? I think light is shined on this in the sacrament of marriage, It gives uh, that strength to be able to say yes to things and no to things. Um, You know, maybe just a a question to reflect with is, are there things that have been pulling me away from really spending some good time educating my kids um, in the love that Jesus has for them and just some different ideas? Uh, uh, in the document, by praying with children? Are there things that have been pulling you away from being there and praying with your children by reading the word of God with them? By introducing them deeply through Christian initiation into the body of Christ, to be able to walk them through this is the beauty of the sacraments, Here's the beauty of confession, the beauty of the Eucharist of confirmation. In this, they become fully parents, begetters of bodily life, but also supernatural life that flows from the Spirit through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. And so let's just end uh, end on a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I give praise to you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. For although you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned, you have revealed them to the childlike. Please, Jesus, give us the permission to be little children in your arms. Please, yoke ourselves to you. Yoke these moms and these wives to you. Help them to know more and more deeply, Jesus, how much they're loved by you. As you say, come to me, all you who labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest. Be childlike, learn from me, and I will give you rest, a peace that the world cannot give. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and humble of heart, and you will find rest for yourselves, for my yoke is easy and my burden light. Okay, ready to start the final talk of the day. And again, um, uh, it's been such a joy for me to be here with all of you and to see so many familiar faces and to have so many memories uh, come back uh, as I see you. And so um, please know uh, in my Masses this weekend, I'll be praying especially uh, for all of you. And... um, Uh, yeah, with that, we'll go into this final talk, which is on, um, how the beatitudes fit into motherhood and especially focused on Jesus saying, take my yoke upon you for I am meek and humble of heart. And just talking, what, what, what does that meek, humble heart look like, especially as it pertains to motherhood? So why don't we start with a prayer? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Jesus, we're so grateful for you and so grateful for the image of your sacred heart. In a special way, you revealed that to St. Margaret Mary, In your heart that has been pierced. We remember that from your cross, you gave your divine permission that your heart would be pierced out of love for us, that you literally poured out every drop of blood in your heart out of love for us. We remember your heart crowned with thorns as a sign of all the different weaknesses and limitations and sins of ours that you take on to yourself. And so many times that we're ungrateful for who you are and your love for us. So many times when our trust in you is shaken, but your heart that's on fire out of a constant love for us. We ask Jesus that you would pour your Holy Spirit deep within us and help us to receive in new ways the love of your sacred heart. And that in receiving your love, our heart would be transformed to become more like yours a heart that's meek and humble. and Blessed Mother, we ask that you would make this prayer perfect as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. So I mentioned in the last talk, there was the quote by St. Augustine who says there's a struggle between the two great loves of our heart. The first, a love of God and a love of heaven to the denial of self. And the second great love is a love for ourselves, a love for this world to the point of pushing away God and denying God. And there's always this struggle. Um, When Jesus taught this verse that we've been focusing on today, come to me, all you who labor and are burden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Um, it was right after he had taught the Beatitudes. And I remember being in the Holy Land. Um, it was the, the first time that I had ever had a chance to go there. And we were at the place where Jesus gave his Beatitudes. And I was getting ready to say Mass, and there's just a very simple chapel that marks that spot, the Mount of the Beatitudes. And there before our Lord praying before Mass, and it was just a very simple but very powerful um, grace that the Beatitudes are Jesus's heart opened for us. So when Jesus's heart was pierced from the cross, uh, the Beatitudes are Jesus's pierced heart revealed to us. And I think that the Beatitudes can be a huge help, another help in knowing what to say yes to, knowing what to say no to. And um, so I wanted to go through these Beatitudes um and I I wanted to also uh, just come um come to this through a lens of gratitude uh, for all um, that you do uh, for all that you are and for many many times where you don't hear gratitude and so uh, the Catechism talks about the Beatitudes as a coming and entering into the heart of Jesus and this place of the kingdom of God. The Beatitudes, they make present the kingdom of God. They are how we enter into the joy of the Lord. The Beatitudes are the way in to his heart. And they make us partakers of the divine life. So the more... That we receive Jesus' love and have the strength to live out the Beatitudes, the more we enter into the divine life of the Trinity. Uh, the Beatitudes invite us to purify our hearts of bad instincts and to seek the love of God above all else. And so, this is something that's going to be countercultural. It's something that we aren't going to hear a lot of places. Um, because our culture in many ways has drifted so far away from the heart of Jesus. The Beatitudes teach us that true happiness is not found in riches or well-being. True happiness is not found in human fame or power. True happiness is not found in human achievement, however beneficial it may be. But true happiness is found in God alone, who is the source of every good and of all love. So let's take a walk uh, through the Beatitudes. The first Beatitude, and Beatitudes, they start out with blessed are those. Um, the word blessed, it means happiness, or it means heaven. And it's a creating an environment of heaven around us. So if a person in the struggle between the two loves of their heart, they're choosing to love themselves and push away God, they are creating an environment around themselves. What's it like being around a selfish person? Kind of like a hell that they create. As they say, I want want heaven for myself, what they're saying is, I'm willing to create a hell for you. The Beatitudes flip that. I am willing, in this moment, to deny myself, to embrace, kind of uh, in a way of speaking, a hell for me in order to create a heaven for you. The struggle of the two great loves but when we're able to do that, and it looks like the cross, when we're able to do that, we begin to create this environment, this atmosphere of heaven around us. Which, again, it's not possible on our own strength, but it is absolutely possible when we're receiving, um, when we're receiving the love that Jesus has for us. So again, Scripture and receiving the Scripture when we're in that place of self-condemnation, it's vital to enter into this spirit of the Beatitudes because we can't get there on our own. So, um, those who are poor in spirit create an atmosphere of heaven around them. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, happy are those. And to be poor in spirit means humility. Humility. So Jesus saying, take my yoke upon you because my heart is humble. The word humility, it's humilitas in Latin, which literally means ground level. If you picture just the, the earth, ground level, humility is standing on ground level. It's not getting higher than ground level, and it's not getting lower than ground level. And ground level is to see ourselves in the way that God sees us. Um, there's a temptation that we have uh, in that place of selfishness that all of us are pulled to. In that place where uh, if we're trying to fulfill those deep desires of our heart and we feel like we're really doing a good job. Right? So, you know, my desire is um, uh, to not yell at my kids and be a great mom, right? And there's those moments of grace where you're, you're able to do that. The temptation that we have is finally I'm getting to that place where I always knew that I could be in, especially if somebody else recognizes that, wow, you do a really awesome job, you know, just being there for your kids in that moment of patience. The temptation is, finally, other people recognize how awesome I am. Right? If you can find that, that um, feeling within your heart, finally, other people are recognizing me, and you can pick out that movement That emotion within you, that thought within you, we can start to pick up where our heart begins to be separated from the heart of Jesus. And in the spiritual life, there's a principle. The what what goes up must come down. Right? Look at me. I finally figured this out. I have learned how to be God. This is amazing, right? What goes up must come down. It's only a matter of probably minutes before we hit our very normal weakness and limitation and sins. And what happens when we do that? The higher we go, we don't just go back to ground level. The higher we go, we go below ground level. And that's the shame. And that's the self-condemnation. I failed again. I messed things up again. And um, one of the um, lights of the spiritual life is the enemy called the deceiver and um, the accuser. The deceiver, look how great you are. People are finally recognizing you you're learning how to do this, right? That's the voice of the deceiver trying to get us into that place of pride. And then um, when we realize our weakness and our limitations, which are normal, right? Do you have weaknesses and limitations? Congratulations, you're a part of the human race, right? When we get to that place, St. Catherine of Siena called the deceiver the pickpocket because he's trying to pickpocket that relationship with Jesus. Jesus is the source of those good things. Jesus is the one who helps us to be fully alive. If we are lifting, being lifted into that place of vanity, we're not there with Jesus saying, Jesus, thank you so much. And the enemy tries to pickpocket that gratitude Um, Tries to pickpocket that union with Jesus. The good things that he's given us are meant to bring about. The voice of the accuser or the voice of the deceiver. It was all you. Quickly becomes when we hit our limitations and weakness, the voice of the accuser. You are so worthless. You're not good enough. You failed again today. I thought... You are farther than this. You are supposed to be a lot farther than this, right? It's the same enemy. The voice of deception and the voice of accusation. It's like a carrot, the bait. The more we go for that bait, the more we'll get rocked by the accusation. Humility is ground level, which is gratitude in the good, honesty in the bad. Jesus, I surrender myself to you in moments of the good. Please take care of everything for me. I do not want, I know where this lifting up of my heart goes in pride. I don't want it. Please take the spirit of pride away from me. Because I don't, I don't want to come down. Um, Jesus, I surrender everything to you. Humility. Humility. Do, you, do you, we recognize how weak we are and know it's okay? It's okay. Your life is messy. Mine is to you. It's okay. Do we recognize how strong Jesus is? Right? That image of Isaiah and the coal held to his mouth. And in that moment, boom, all of his weakness and sin are taken. So in that place of humility, uh, for all um, you moms out there who suffer from infertility, thank you for um, the way that you show humility in placing your trust in Jesus. Because it's an amazing example uh, to all of us. Wives, uh, moms who have had unplanned babies, thank you for your courage. Thank you for that trust in Jesus, that place of humility. Even though your world is getting rocked and your heart is full of those storms, thank you. For giving us that example of humility and trust in God. Um, For all you moms who care for sick kids. For all you moms, kids with special needs. Casting all your care on Jesus who cares for you. It's how we learn what humility looks like as kids. Thank you. And what happens if we don't do the greatest job when we're in those places? And there's, you know, that self-condemnation, wow, I haven't been doing a good job with that. Very simply and gently, Jesus, I surrender myself to you. Take care of everything. Please fill me with the grace of humility. Jesus says, happier those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Happier those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The word compassion, co means with, and passion means to suffer, to suffer with others who are mourning. For all of you moms who go without, because... You're suffering with your kids. Um, Staying up at all hours of the night, I mean, I am just dumbfounded when a mom says, one of my favorite questions that I ask, like, how's your sleep been? You know, with that new little baby, because it's always kind of startling and jarring for me to hear the answer, you know? And uh, you know, many moms say, oh my gosh, it's been so great lately. I've gotten four hours straight. <laughs> and I just shake my head and I think, how do you do that? Every time that you have suffered with your kids in that way, thank you. Um, all of you moms who have lost sleep when your kids were sick and suffered for them, all of you moms who see so much danger in the world and when your hearts are filled with sadness and you're crying out in prayer to Jesus because you're suffering with your kids in that way thank you for all the prayers that you offer up for the moms who respond to that heart uh, to that pull of adoption to kids who otherwise wouldn't have a chance for our Lord pulling on your heart and suffering with those kids. Or, you know, maybe it's just the neighbor kids and their parents aren't around and suffering with those kids. Thank you for all the times that you mourn with those who are mourning. And maybe we're convicted, okay, here's a beatitude that I really need to work on. Don't be hard on your heart. That's a temptation from the enemy. Don't be hard on your heart, but ease up. Be very gentle. Just entrust your heart into the heart of Jesus Jesus, I surrender everything to you. I surrender my heart to you. Take care of everything. Jesus says, Those who are meek create a heaven for others. Um, Meekness is suffering injustice and returning love. So there's great stories about Mother Teresa's meekness. Um, I had a silent retreat with Mother Teresa's spiritual director. So he was my spiritual director, right? So I mean what do you say? You know, like I'm really sorry you know, for what I'm about to say, you know, because I know you didn't hear this from mother Teresa, right? Um, he was talking about mother Teresa face to face with the Chinese dictator and him saying, okay, wh- wh- what do you want from me? And she was asking that the missionaries of charity could be brought into China. And Monsignor Essef is the priest. And he said he was such a pig to her. And he had this huge cigar. And he sat down next to her to try to um, belittle her and, you know, cause all of this fear. And he's surrounded by all of his, you know, guard and everything. And he's taking this cigar and he's blowing smoke into her face. So he's just such a pig. And Mother Teresa looked him in the eye and she said, you know, on that question, what do you want to do in China? She said, I want to bring the love of Jesus Christ and the love of his mother to you and to all of those you serve. Receiving injustice, returning love, that's meekness. She was in Calcutta And there was a little kid who was starving. She took him into a bakery and said to the baker, please, can I have bread for this little child? She's starving. And the baker spit in Mother Teresa's face. So she wiped off her face and she said, thank you for that gift for me. Now, please, can I have some bread for this little girl? She's starving. Meekness. Jesus in his passion. Jesus, who is the the sinless one, being struck full on when the high priest says, What have you been teaching? And he says, You were with me. In the temple, you heard everything that I preached, and a guard striking him full on and turning. And Jesus says, If there's something wrong that I have said, let me know, but otherwise, why do you strike me? Receiving injustice and returning love, right? And that's ultimately the cross. Um, For all you moms, when your kids have embarrassed you and you love them anyway, um, for all of the patience in the face of talking back and disrespect, uh, for all of the times that you've received injustices in your marriage from your kids, thank you for your meekness. Um, it has taught, it teaches all of us what meekness looks like. Especially, you know, I think of my own mom. Right? This is how I learned these things primarily. Um... Thank you for all that you do for your kids. And if you say, here's an area that I need to grow in, it's okay. Gentleness on your heart. Jesus, I surrender myself to you. Please take care of everything. I invite you into this place in my heart. And it's possible with Jesus. Jesus says, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness create a heaven for those around them. What does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness? Righteousness is obedience. So to hunger and thirst for obedience, and picture the last time you were really hungry, or really thirsty, and that feeling of, I just, you know, I, I need this badly, to need to be obedient to God badly. For all of you, Um, who are so courageous in obedience to God in the midst of a culture who's many times not for your courageousness to walk into a supermarket with your kids, you know, and to take, you know, the insensitive, selfish comments. Thank you for that. Uh, For all of you who are trustingly practicing NFP and a contraceptive word for the courage that's there for hungering and thirsting for that obedience when sometimes it's so hard and it doesn't make sense. Thank you. We have learned so much, all of us, from watching that. Thank you. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful. Happy are those, are the merciful. Those uh, those who show mercy create a heaven for the people around them. Um, Mercy loving even when it's not deserved. Uh, We look to the cross again to to see what mercy looks like. Um, Wives who are hurt deeply by their husbands and invite Jesus into that pain. Um, When I was young and I broke three windows in one week, a person's windshield, the neighbor's basement window, with a soccer ball, with a water balloon, a soccer ball, and the the next-door neighbor's picture window with a pellet gun. Just decimating my parents' insurance. So grateful for my mom's mercy that I'm alive to tell that story. When they were called from the emergency room my first day at college because their son running down the hallway Jumped too high to karate kick his buddy and clothesline himself on the metal door frame. Five staples from the emergency room. So grateful for mercy. (laughs) Every time that you have shown mercy, thank you. Blessed are the clean for the thousand times a day that you show mercy. Blessed are the clean of heart, for they will see God. Feminine spirituality has a great desire to have that strength of heart and to use that strength of heart to nurture, to give life, to love. Selfishness tries to twist that, to nurture ourselves, to give life to ourselves, to love ourselves and making somebody else an object to that end. Feminine spirituality, when it becomes fully alive, a purity of heart, is when a wife and a mom says, I'm going to use my strength of heart to nurture those entrusted to me, to give life and love to those entrusted to me. It's where her heart comes fully alive. For all of the times that you have done that, thank you. Blessed are the peacemakers. Pretty self-explanatory, right? Um, When you're going to lose it, and the kid has pushed that button (laughs) how many times, right? And you choose to move into that place of trust with Jesus. Thank you. And for all of those times when it was too much, right? You're normal. And it's just, there's a place where a heart can turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, I surrender myself to you. Please fill me with your peace. We can't give peace if we don't receive peace. And finally... Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. When the culture does not understand you, when your kids hate you for not letting them have a smartphone, thank you. Thank you. I hated my parents because they would not let me have a Nintendo. I was gone from the house as often as I possibly could to my friend's place because they had Nintendos and I didn't have one, right? The greatest joy of our life is when mom says you can rent a Nintendo for tonight, right? I hated my parents. Oh my gosh, I'm so grateful. I am so grateful for the strength they showed there. Um it's countercultural but every time that you protect your kids and you are persecuted for it thank you um when you choose to put mass in front of all kinds of other activities and you feel that pressure from you know sports teams or camps or you know whatever it is all of the different activities And when you stand that ground and you're faithful in that way and you take heat for it, thank you. You are creating heaven for all of us. And what happens when we fail in these things, Right, we realize how weak we are on our own, how limited we are on our own. And in that place of vulnerability, we go up and we go out. I call it spiritual martial arts. Ah. Up and out, up towards God, Jesus, I surrender myself to you, and out towards others. You know, really look at at the women who are gathered here. You know, here's a, a room full of sisters that maybe you would not have otherwise picked, but a room full of sisters who have the same desires that you do you know as marilyn pointed out don't be afraid to reach out we're not okay on our own because we've been created for relationships um, and so why don't we end with a prayer in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit amen jesus as we turn our hearts to you from a place of gratitude gratitude for your love gratitude for the graces that you desire to pour into these mom's hearts these wives hearts Jesus help us to receive the beatitudes as visible descriptions of how your heart is towards us cut through our mind blindness And the lies of the enemy that try to tell us differently. Help us to receive your sacred heart that is on fire out of love for us. Please, Jesus, strengthen our hearts. That our hearts would become um, places of love, places of heaven for those that you entrust to us.
0: My name is Father Gary Coulter. I'm the director here at Our Lady Good Counsel Retreat House. Just want to thank also Marilyn for organizing today and thank uh, Father Holdren for his presentations and thank all of you for coming to Good Counsel Retreat House. Just wanted to remind you, let you know that we have, of course, on our website the recordings of this retreat and all the past retreats, Goodcounselretreat.com, and then, of course, our list of upcoming retreats, which will Be resuming in-person retreats and online. We're also very happy Father Holdren will be coming back the first weekend and second weekend in December, one of those for Retreat on Marriage. So we'll uh, look forward. Maybe some of you want to come for that one as well. And thank you again and uh, God's blessings and